0: The Issues That Matter Most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Political correctness, identity politics, cancel culture, intersectionality is more of an academic thing. Wokeness, I think that's more in people's lexicon in the last year or two. But even this term social justice. Is it possible to, to maybe give like a, a concise definition of what it is we're talking about, what the archbishop identifies as new secular ideologies? These things have been... In, in the air for a while but i think if i was going to maybe sum it up what all these have in common is they do borrow from a kind of common marxist viewpoint that s- separates people into groups the drew mariani show on relevant radio
1: i it's such a great point that is what they <laughs> clearly have um divisive nature. That was Dr. John chef He's a, uh, he was unpacking Archbishop uh, Gomez's letter from last month. Uh, it was titled Reflections on the Church and America's New Religion. We talked about it. He proposed that, you know, Marxist secular ideologies must primarily be understood in spiritual terms and their quest to displace authentic Christianity. And I thought it was such a such a great uh, insight. And I've said this before just about where we are in the culture today. Why is it that environmentalism or Black Lives Matter or critical race theory or, you know, any of this gender, you know, uh, fluidity type of thing? Why is it these different ideologies are taking such root? Because we just got done talking about the lack of people praying, the lack of people going to church. When you reject God, when you don't have God in your life, there's a vacuum and something else has to fill it so people begin worshiping at these different altars so to speak there's an old saying that nature abhors a vacuum right so where there's empty space something's going to fill it up and i really believe it's the same in the human heart it also abhors a vacuum and where there is empty space something's going to fill it up it's like you know it's like that parable jesus told the uh, Total, the man who's uh, freed from from a demon, the demon goes wandering off, right? But what happens? He comes back to his old host, finds that the soul is empty, swept and tidy, but there's nothing there. So the demon goes off, and he finds, you know, more than, um, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> demon goes off and and, and you know, finds a man uh, man's condition far worse than it was before, right? And when he comes back with seven other demons. So it's it's the same in public life. When you sweep when you sweep out the faith life of the public, something's going to fill it. Something's going to take its place. Something uh, that Archbishop Gomez argues are the pseudo religions of our day, and those pseudo religions are the ones that well, they exalt race or status over everything else. You know, you have got critical race theory just wreaking havoc on racial relations in this country. Critical race theory, and we've talked about in the past. It's it's racist. I'm sorry. Guys, it it masks itself as if, though it's not, but it's it's a racist ideology, period. It's it's gone so far that we now have blacks and other minorities advocating for segregating themselves in college dorms. I I have shared with you many times, the big shocker was they want a black graduation versus a white one. Talk about segregation. They want to do this in neighborhoods, you know, after what people like Rosa Parks and Ruby Bridges and Martin Luther King Jr. did to push for desegregation. It looks like the pendulum swung in the absolute absolute opposite direction. Some people want to resegregate. And what's that do? That doesn't bring unity. That brings greater division. And what is division the hallmark of? I said it earlier. It's the hallmark of the evil one. And that's what we're seeing at play right now. You know, Archbishop Gomez described it this way. and Then I want to be joined by Dr. Paul Kanker. He wrote a great piece. We're going to link over to it for you. I want you to read it. And you're welcome to join me, too. Feel free to dial in. It's 888 You can sound off. Let me just share with you what Archbishop Gomez uh, had to say. He describes this religion. He says, quote, we cannot know where we came from. But we are aware that we have interests in common with those who share our skin color or position in society. We're also painfully aware that our group is suffering and alienated, though no fault of our own. The cause of our unhappiness is that we are victims of oppression by other groups in society. We are liberated and find redemption through the constant struggle against our oppressors by waging a battle for political and cultural power in the name of creating a society of equity. And that's one of those big key words today, right? Equity. I'm joined today by Dr. Paul Kanger for Perspective on this. I, I, he wrote a great piece, too. I want to get you plugged into it. Uh, be sure and check out his books, too. The Devil and Karl Marx is one of his latest. But he, uh, Dr. Kanger has seen this kind of stuff before. He's a professor of, of political science at Grove City College in Pennsylvania. Doctor, good to have you back. Good afternoon.
2: Yeah, thanks, Drew. Good to be with you.
1: And thanks for your piece. Uh, you know, I know you said Archbishop Gomez reveals the pseudo-religions of our time. It's a Crisis Magazine piece that, that you wrote. We're going to link over to it. Your take on all of this right now, um, how are you reading it? Do, do the adherents of critical race theory see, you know, what they're doing as a type of religion or, or, or not, just a social movement?
2: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's that's exactly what's going on. And, and you know, I, I, found, I found this to be a very profound speech that he gave and in fact it was actually it was it was two different two different sta- statements that he gave drew and so in fact I'm, I'm looking at them right now to get the exact date on these but there were two of them that were in november and one of these was it was it was an address okay yeah it need a, 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 a november 4th address to the congress of catholics and public life in madrid spain and you know, that's what I quote from in particular in this piece for Crisis Magazine. And then he also did a statement, a letter to the bishops for the U.S. CCB meeting in Baltimore, and that echoed many of the same things that he said in the November fourth speech. And by the way, there was a group called something like Christians in Public Life, which was it was a group of of um, very left of center, left wing uh, Christians, mostly Protestants. But I also saw some some Catholics in there, some Catholic priests, and they just they just ripped the bishop to, to shreds over this, and and really, I thought terribly misrepresented what 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 he said. But it's, it's a really impressive speech that he made. I encourage people to read the whole thing. I link to it online at my Crisis piece. And originally, Drew, I turned in, and you, know, you as somebody who's, who's written and written books, you'll appreciate this. A, a typical piece for Crisis magazine, I'm an editor there, hmm. is usually around 1,500 words, 1,200 to 1,500 words in length. I had about 3,500 words in this piece. Wow. And, and then I, yeah. And then I cut it back to about 2,900 and Eric Salmons, the wonderful editor at crisis Mm -hmm. magazine, he said, eh, it's still too long. And so, so we cut out about my first six, 700 words, where I introduced critical race theory and explained it and set the context. He said, "He said most of our readers don't need all that. Just jump right in. Talk about what Gomez said. And my point in mentioning all of this length is that he had so much good to say in in that in that speech. It was so poignant. The remarks were so good, talking about this elite leadership class that's that's arisen up in America with little interest in religion, local traditions or culture. He said this group goes around canceling people and you know and a lot of it and this is one of his many themes, he pointed out that these new pseudo religious groups that are out there, unlike the Christian groups, Drew they are unforgiving. Right? You know, Christianity forgives. It tries to reconcile you, right? You're forgiven through Christ. These groups don't do that. If if they disagree with you, they destroy you, right? They cancel you. They erase you. I mean, you are finished, right? You know, you you get the social media death penalty. I mean they have excommunication in these groups. And you know, that's a that's a very different thing. That um, certainly that we see in the Catholic faith and 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 in the Christian tradition.
1: I, I love what you're right because you talk about that. You say that the political left likes to kind of frame themselves as the uh, the tolerance movement. Everything's got to be tolerated, right? If I think I'm a five foot four Chinese woman, you got to tolerate and accept that. You know, there's this great spirit of tolerance, and it all sounds good on the surface, but they're rigid. They're intolerant toward those who dare to disagree with them or challenge this idea at all. So really, I mean, even though they they wear the, the mask of tolerance, they really are a movement of great intolerance, aren't they?
2: They do, and they do that with the whole diversity thing too, right? They talk about diversity, the whole LGBTQ movement did this, and yet there's a complete lack of diversity toward those who disagree. And right now, these groups are doing this with race. And just like you said a few minutes ago, right? So so this is this is, this is is an ideology that ironically separates and segregates <laughs> based on race. They stereotype based on race, and they do it in the name of opposing racism. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You, you, you and I, we're about the same age, grew up in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And we were taught that the lesson of Martin Luther King Junior is that you judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. We were taught to be colorblind, right? That was the phrase. Yep. For these people today, um to be colorblind is wrong. You're to be color obsessed. You're to be color focused. So instead so when you when you look at a person who's black you shouldn't not look at them as black. you must look at them as black and then being black means that you're supposed to assume certain things about them which you know in the past we used to call stereotypes right, right. you're supposed to think right. that that they that they think this certain way they behave this certain way and that you as a white person being white you think certain ways and you inherently treat them in certain ways and if you don't think that you're treating him or mistreating him in those certain ways, then you need to be educated. You know, the Marxists called this, Lenin in his essay, What is to be Done, right? They mm-hmm. called this consciousness raising. You, you, you had to learn about your role as the oppressor, right? And, and if you were in the oppressed group, whether you felt oppressed or not, you needed to be taught that, that, you, that you were oppressed. If you didn't realize that you're oppressed as a black person, it's because you haven't been educated in the right way about it. So it, 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 we talked about this, I think you and I, last week. If you go to the website of um, Black Lives Matter, they have this thing right now where they're condemning what they call white supremacist capitalism, where they're infusing race with Marxism, right, with, with Marxist, Marxist ideology. And there's a phrase up there, um, capitalism doesn't love black people. Right, as if capitalism has anything wow. to do with your skin color. Oh right, goodness. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Right, I, 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 all all my heroes on the Pittsburgh Steelers from. Mean Joe Green to uh, Cam Hayward, who I, I went to college with Cam Hayward's oh, wow. um, fought, late father at Pitt, uh, Craig Ironhead Hayward, right? These guys became millionaires <laughs> through, through capitalism. We have, what, what's Oprah Winfrey, uh, uh, Winfrey worth, a billion dollars? <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> right? you know, capitalism doesn't discriminate, it gives you the freedom to do whatever you want. It doesn't care what you're, it doesn't, the only color it cares about is green, right? Dollars. <laughs> This is the kind of madness that these people are engaging in, and um, it's very, very divisive, very divisive.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's take a few calls. So if you want to join us, feel free to pull up a chair. I'd love to get your perspective and uh, share your experiences as well. 888 to get into the conversation. My guest today, Dr. Paul Kingor, and he wrote a great piece. You're going to love it. It's well worth a read. Uh, it's entitled Archbishop Gomez reveals the pseudo religions of our time. I think it's incredibly revealing kathy in Savage, Minnesota Good afternoon hi drew hi cat
3: aid by this and i re- I just recently phrase if we don't tell our children who God is, somebody will tell them he and I just think we have an incredible movement towards false gods. And it just, um, the old Testament that, hey, Kathy, you know, all these people had, yes.
1: Let, let me interrupt you for a second. Cause your cell phone, I think broke up. You said, if we don't teach oh, our I'm children so who Jesus, That's not your fault. If you, if you don't teach your, uh, your children who Jesus is, what was the rest of your statement?
3: Then somebody will tell them what he is not.
2: Gotcha. that's right and and you know you alluded to this too drew right augustine had said there's a god-shaped vacuum in all of us right and it's so it's a vacuum that's in, it's in the shape of god only god can truly fill it and in this new american culture where we are today where the ri- the largest rising religious category are the nuns, right? N-O-N-E, the non-religious affiliated. Yep. This rising secularism, this rising atheism, uh, rising agnosticism, people are filling it up with something else. And a lot of times, in a lot of cases, they're filling it up with these woke ideologies and, and woke theories. And, and in fact, here's the quote from, from Archbishop Gomez. Here is my thesis. I believe the best way for the church to understand the new social justice movements is to understand them as pseudo-religions and even replacements and rivals to traditional Christian beliefs. And, and, and Drew, that's what the Marxists did. Um, it, uh, Raymond Aron called uh, Marxism the opium of the intellectuals. Hmm. Ronald Reagan said yeah, um, Marxism-Leninism, that religion of theirs. So they, so they took these, these, these communist atheists and they used Marxism. It, 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 the canon of scripture became for them a communist manifesto, Das Kapital, other books. And Gomez says, With the breakdown of the traditional Christian worldview and the rise of, of secularism, political belief systems based on social justice or personal identity have come to fill the space. the christian belief and practice once occupied and he said whatever we call these movements social justice wokeness identity politics intersectionality they claim to offer what religion provides they provide people with an explanation for events and conditions in the world. And this is it, Drew. He said they offer a sense of meaning, a purpose for living, the feeling of belonging to a community. And he said rather than have that, we need the Christian narrative, right? Um, you know, our salvation narrative. But instead, these others are putting out a rival salvation narrative, where which bases you on your identity, your wow. skin color. Your gender, your sexual orientation, somewhere else. And he said, the more that we secularize, the more that that vacuum is going to take over. That's exactly what we're facing. So he's identified something here, very significant, very important. And I thank God, uh, quite literally, that the head, the, the head of the USCCB, understands uh, just how dangerous some of these movements are.
1: No, no doubt. My guest, Dr. Paul Kengor, will grab a few more of your calls. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Taking a look at a. America's new pseudo religions and why so many people are swallowing this poison pill. Mary, in Illinois, you're on the air with Dr. Kengor. Good afternoon.
3: Hi. Good afternoon. I just want to thank you both, gentlemen, for bringing this forward again. Um, I know we've had a few conversations about it before. My question for you is this: I'm in education. There are so, from the birth through age 21, they are building this into every aspect of education from. A curriculum to professional development, and I am really concerned about um, the aspects that are funding this. And if you go to uh, the web pages wherever um, you know people are um, sending you to for the curriculums or for other things in, in the profession. Um, I've traced it all back, and it goes back to agencies and funders with a lot of money. And some of that is even tied back into the government. And so I'm just wondering, first of all, what your impressions are on that, and secondly, um, how do you come against forces that are so great and mighty? Um, And I'll hang up for the answer, and I appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much. God bless you.
2: Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on, Drew. And, in fact, remember it was a few months ago that the President Biden and his Department of Education were called out for some of this stuff. And this is off the top of my head, but I believe it had to do with – the uh, patrice colors push she 's the founder of uh, Black Lives Matter. in fact, they pushed her out drew because of her um, financial abuses and uh, talk about greed and capitalism <laughs> she, she was she was making an enormous amount of money. And uh, BLM internally was really frustrated. She's the one that bought multiple houses, and no one knew exactly how much money she was taking taking for it from the organization. But but she's pushing something called the Abolitionist Network, an Abolitionist Handbook, uh, and and that is something that. Uh, Certain people in the Department of Education were trying to get into the schools. Of course, all of this stuff is seeping into the schools. It starts at the universities. It starts in particular at departments of education. Um, English departments at universities are just rife with this stuff. A lot of the critical theory stuff comes from those departments. Uh, Gender theory, critical race theory. uh, Critical theory comes from the Frankfurt School, which, which pioneered cultural Marxism, 1920s and 1930s. So, so the push, indeed, and anybody listening to this shouldn't doubt this. I, I mean, if, if you believe, if you're a member of one of these movements, and you think you've come up with with the new means here of secular salvation or whatever else, you want to you want to spread the gospel, man, right? Uh, you know, you you want to bring as many people along as possible. You want to educate the new generation. So it's always a battle to educate young people, which is why, and probably the main reason we're talking about a lot of all of this stuff, is it blew up at school boards. You have parents in places like northern Virginia or elsewhere who are staying completely out of politics. These aren't homeschooling parents. A lot of them are probably fairly moderate to liberal parents in kind of well-off areas in places like northern Virginia. They were hearing what their kids were telling them about. Hey, what did you learn at school today? Well, we learned uh, to hate the cops, to, to defund the police, right? And and parents started going to school board meetings. There were blow up at school board meetings. So the the, the 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 main target here for the new revolutionaries is indeed the youth through K through twelve in particular.
1: and to her her comment too about as you trace this back. Uh, a lot of money goes into this uh, agenda uh, to promote this particular ideology. Where is that all rooted? Does it come from guys like George Soros? I mean, what's, who's driving it? Where's the funding for a lot of this coming from? And as you pointed out, you know, it's coming out of our, educa- our higher educational institutions and, and other areas. But um, are there other forces or elements behind this?
2: Oh, sure. And and the and the public sector unions, especially the leadership at the national level, it's not really the rank and file so much locally. But if if you check, I think it's usually held in June. The annual convention of the National Education Association, which I'm not making this up. God is my witness. This is the truth, Drew. The only reason that I even know what goes on there is because I check the website of Communist Party USA, cpusa.org, and its flagship publication, People's World, peoplesworld.org, which is the successor publication to the Daily Worker. They never miss <laughs> the, the annual convention of the NEA. They are, they are there. Every June, taking notes, reporting on all the stuff, and it is is one of the most ideologized um, radical conferences in the country. I mean, the Democratic National Committee conferences aren't as far to the left as some of these, and they're all about gender ideology, gender theory, race stuff. And it is just um, it's just a potpourri of kind of ideological radicalism, and what what happens is that those organizations they get taken over the leadership at the top the national level by by these sort of radical secular progressives, and they push the stuff downward toward uh, toward the schools at all the local levels. So it's not just people like George Soros and and you know kind of Bond like. <laughs> character billionaires uh, even, uh, men like Soros but it's um, it's happening with with the public sector unions especially the teachers unions
1: that's well so my guest dr. Paul Kangar doc I got to take a short pause here when we come back we'll take a few more of your calls it's great to have you here the numbers triple eight nine one four nine one four nine if you're just tuning in we're taking a look at some of the new pseudo religions of our day arch uh, Bishop Gomez uh, you know, addressed that issue, and Dr. Paul Kangor wrote a really uh, in-depth, insightful piece in Crisis Magazine, and we can link over to that for you as well. But feel free to join the conversation. It'll continue right after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com Forrester.
4: It's really worth thinking about because you might think, well, is that somehow embedded in the Marxist doctrine? Is it an inevitable consequence of the unfolding of these ideas? Solzhenitsyn made that case in the Gulag Archipelago, but it's not self-evident. But I think there's a level under which, underneath, you could go and say, well, what's motivating this? Is it actually like saintly compassion for the downtrodden? Or is it resentment about the fact that life is unfair and tragic, which it definitely is. is. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, by their fruits ye shall know them. That's the answer to that question. It's like, well, if if 30, 40 million people die in the aftermath of the revolution, and a tremendous number of them are ordinary people, and that happens repeatedly, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I guess it must (laughs) be resentment and hatred, because how else do you account for all of that the proof is in the pudding so to speak like how many corpses have to stack up before yeah. you think and oh, the number, the number is pretty high already so it's it's uncountable uh, yeah you know like we don't know we don't know how many people died as a consequence of communist totalitarianism it could be 50 million it could be 150 million those are big error bars that's a big problem when you can't count in the tens of millions when you can't get the damn estimate right and it happened in multiple cultures because you might say well it was just specific to a time and place it wasn't intrinsic to this radical doctrine yeah well there's not that much it's the same about the soviet union and maoist china cambodia places in africa as well these aren't the same places mm-hmm. but nonetheless you drop that poisonous seed in there and it's like mayhem in no time flat
0: the drew mariani show on relevant radio
1: yeah that was uh, dr jordan peterson has been on the program in the past, he was digging into the underlying motives of communism, and I loved what he said in the end there about dropping those seeds. And what do you see? You see this ugly specter in no time. Flat, we're beginning to see some of this. We've been talking uh, over this past year with Dr. Paul Kengor about about critical race theory and about so many of these other radical uh, ideologies that seem to be infiltrating our, uh, our institutions of higher learning uh, that are coming out of the media. Uh, this uh, wokism that seems to have taken root in so many of our major corporations throughout the world. Archbishop uh, Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, he's also the president of the USCCB. Uh, he warned in two really uh, excellent statements that CRT can morph into something even more dangerous and we're, we're seeing a lot of that right now. He warned about these social justice movements um, and, and he makes the case, that they have become pseudo-religions. And and what's the solution? Well, the solution is that we need to proclaim Jesus Christ more boldly. Relevant Radio is doing that. Dr. Paul Kanger is writing about it. In fact, we put up on our Twitter page, at Drew Mariani Show, his article, in which he kind of breaks down what Archbishop Gomez has had to say and takes a look at so many of these, these different movements. And, and, Doctor, thank you for your writing. It is always good to have you here uh, with us today, you heard Doctor uh, Peterson, and um, you know we can see how quickly this type of dislogic, I think, sometimes takes root. And I always wonder about that. What what, what has happened to ration, rationality? Whatever happened to critical thinking? Whatever happened to somebody saying, "Hey, this has been tried in the past and it has failed everywhere. It has been resurrected. Why are we going down this path? How, how do you how do you come to terms with that?
2: Well, they're not learning any of it, Drew and that, and that's the whole problem as we talked about in the last segment they're learning instead about these noxious silly theories yeah you know, they're they're not being educated about the truth of these pernicious ideologies and the history of them like marxism and leninism in fact jordan peterson said there he's quite right no one really knows how many people were killed by communist government yep. i mean everybody agrees on the number that was put out in the harvard university press book the black book of communism and it's used by groups like the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. hundred million—it's it's at least a hundred million people were killed by communist governments in the 20th century, at least. And and that number—that that number in the Black Book—they only, only, right—they they only credit about 20 million deaths in the USSR. We now know that that number, according to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, all kinds of other people, is probably at least 60 to 70 million. And there are probably at least 60 to 70 million in Mao's China. So right then and there, you add those two up, you're looking at 130, 140 million, possibly. So you're looking at more than double the combined death tolls of World War One and World War Two. I mean, there's never been anything like this in all of history. And also, Peterson's point, too, Drew, is that wherever it's been tried, <laughs> this has happened. It's not like people could say, well, you know, the Russian people have kind of a history of Chinese, you know, there's a there a billion people there, and you know, that kind of, I mean, just name it, you know, Cambodia, Cuba, uh, East Berlin, uh, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, you know, go to a different continent, right? Pick it, wherever, wherever it goes, it doesn't produce it doesn't produce anything but famine and poverty. And to have, and you and I have talked about this before, to have religious left Christians say things like, we won't... I think we can learn a lot from uh, the Communist Manifesto. Marx too talked about sharing wealth and and redistributing money and helping the poor. Well, like Leo the Thirteenth said, like Pope Pius the said, Pius the Tenth, Pius the Eleventh, Pius the XI, Twelfth, Pius the Eleventh, and Quadratus Milano, If you want to help the poor, just follow the Christian Gospel. I mean, you you, you don't need to latch onto an inherently militantly atheistic. Secular ideology that hates religion calls for you know, not just the abolition of private property, but quote abolition of the family!" Exclamation mark. You know, just do what Jesus would do. You know what? You don't need to do what Marx would do. But so many people on our side, and now they're doing it with with critical race theory. They, they're so easily duped, Drew. They're, they're, they're easily drawn in. by by these ideas from the far left. The the, the far left will take socialism and call it social justice to a group of liberal Catholics, and the group of liberal Catholics will will, will just swoon. Oh, yeah, oh I like that. Social justice. No, I mean, that's not real social justice. They're using that to push socialism. And so many people on our side, they fall for it again and again and again, and now they're doing it with this critical theory junk. And I think... You know, back to our main point, I think Archbishop Gomez recognizes that. I'm glad some people in our church and in the, in the in the hierarchy do.
1: Yeah, Amen to that. And he, he gives us a solution. I want to go to the phones, too, in a second here. But he tells us what's the antidote. You know, it is to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. That That's, a, that's right. You know, it's not an easy task. Uh, you know, how do you see that as the antidote to this? And And how can we better do that?
2: Yeah, and 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 what's the verse from Scripture, right? Um, neither Greek nor Jew, uh, neither Gentile, um, neither slave or free, right? Neither man nor woman. You know, we are all united as Christians through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so we are to look at our at our neighbors as individuals made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We're not to look at them according to their skin color or or or, or their or their creed or. or or whatever other category or identity. But but, but this is where we are with identity politics. And it it has destroyed the universities. There's a book out there that's been a huge bestseller by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay, who both, by the way, are on the left. And Lindsay is not even – I think Lindsay's an atheist. And it's called um, Cynical Theories. And the subtitle is something like How Race, Gender, and Sexual Orientation – Um, are redefining everything, everything in our universities. And the universities are doing this. It's just race, gender, and sexual orientation. It's like the trinity to them, the secular trinity. Everything is viewed through the lens of those things, where once upon a time when our universities were founded – it, it, we, you know, they, they were dedicated to Christian thought, right? It, mm-hmm. Even places like Columbia. Thomas Merton writes about this in *The Seven Storey Mountain*. Places like Harvard, um, and of course, many Catholic universities that, that have lost their way now, is so many of them have tossed all that out for instead this, um, you know, this 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 secular trinity of race, gender, and sexual orientation. It's all about identity, identity politics. And it's not what we were taught as Catholics or through the Christian gospel. All right.
1: Let's do this. We'll grab a few more calls. If you want to get in, 888-914-9149, 914 9149 We'll take a few of your calls. You know how quickly time goes. Ed is listening to us in California. Ed, good afternoon.
5: Hi, good afternoon. I just, I'll just i just try and make this quick. I have a hard time sometimes getting things together. I have a friend that I'm seeing. She's from Beijing. She's my age, 77. And she told me, She remembers when the communists were taking over and before the communists took over. I'll just say a couple of things because uh, they took her. She's Catholic and her family's Catholic. And they took her father's land. Her uncle was a Catholic bishop. They starved him to death, she told me. She went to see him and they said, uh, she said, honey, I can't have any food. Wow. And there's other things I could say, but I know you have other people on the line. But uh, what she told me, I told her to write a book about it, and she says she wants to, but if she uses her name, her son and family are back there. Not all Chinese people are back, but I mean, her son and family are back there. She can't use her name. She won't be, you know, the Communist Party won't like it if they find out she wrote this book. Well, that's all I have to say. I just wanted to mention that. But there's more things she told me that I could tell you. But,
1: well, no. why don't you mention one or two, Ed? So I find yeah. them fascinating. So they started uh, the bishop. They took the okay. land.
5: Yeah, they stopped. They said, yeah, they took her father's land. Um, oh, God, there's this, just other things, you know. And, and that's uh, all right. she told me if they had pictures, this is what she told me. The communists would come in and if you had pictures and they found out you had pictures they'd take you uh, you 're not supposed to have pictures After when they were taken over uh you you 're not supposed to have pictures of your family or anything, and just other things like that you know uh, that okay. she, that she remembers and she she worked up into Congress she was a professor over there she taught in college she okay. taught english that's um, the second language and she was in um, she they wanted her to go to the um, broadcasting thing it was broadcasting college but that was propaganda and she said I won't do it I'm Catholic yeah. Yeah. So, so they well, put her in the army and then she said she told me the to thing she was in the army and stuff but I told her write a book you know but she wants to but I used to what is what is a synonym when you yeah, use somebody else's pseudonym name?
1: yeah, she can use a pseudonym that's a good idea and thank you for for calling I, I think she should maybe you know get somebody to help her or, or do it on her behalf doctor your, your thoughts there we see what happens in these particular um, nations where this becomes, where, where the government has it all reaching power. I mean, it's horrible from starvation bunkers to, you know, the eradication of family and identity. It's all about the state. And uh, that's ultimately where this type of stuff leads, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and, and there have been many memoirs that have been published. People like Lung Ung of, of Cambodia, First They Killed My Father, was her book. Jung um, chang uh, you know, wild swans a number of different memoirs from people in china and the, you know, they called it the cultural revolution in china you know, the period was the late 1960s 66 to 69 the great proletarian cultural revolution and what strikes me so much about that language is applied to america today is is these people these modern day Marxists in America are truly cultural revolutionaries right they're you know they 're not they 're not dealing with traditional marxism in the sense of economics and class i mean some of them are and and leave it to someone Mm. like uh you know patrice colors that black lives matter to be pushing what they're calling you know fighting white supremacist capitalism finding a way to turn thanksgiving and christmas into this this marxist (laughs) argument but 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 a lot of the people probably most of the people in the kind of what is what has been traditionally called America the neo-Marxist left, the post-60s left. Um, Kate Kate Millett, who wrote Sexual Politics, which uh, she had been raised in a Catholic home. She, you know, that was her dissertation of Columbia in the late 1960s. Herbert Marcuse of the Frankfurt School, the guru of the new left. This is a Marxism applied to culture, and and they're applying it now to, again, Gender, sexual orientation, race, identity, identity, identity. Always looking for new categories of oppression, oppressed versus oppressor. And they place you in one of those categories. It's a very dehumanizing way to look at individuals. It doesn't look at us, again, as children made in the image of God, but children in categories according to the categories that these people prefer to assign you to.
1: Well, Doctor, let me do this. I'm going to take a short pause when we come back. Boy, a lot of people want to join the conversation. We'll take a few more calls. Uh, I also wanted to get your take on what's happening on Capitol Hill now that the Build Back Better bill is not going to become a reality. If we have time, we can touch on that. But um, you might want to check out Dr. Paul Kengor's article. I linked over to it on our Twitter page. That's at Drew Mariani Show. And I think you'll find it very revealing. Taking a look at America's pseudo-religions and the dark specter of other nations. Hope restored. Hearts healed. Lives changed. Here's another Miracle Moment on Relevant Radio. Dan is in Chicago. He was unemployed when he first gave. Can't wait to hear his story. Hi, Dan.
6: Hi. um, I was just going to say that when I started listening to Relevant Radio, I was pretty much a confused Protestant individual who believed in God, But I really didn't have a direction. I didn't have a church. I had been shunned by one. Uh, I was confused completely by the other. And as I was going to these Protestant churches, I went with my wife to a Catholic church. And it seemed to me I was getting more truth in the Catholic church, even though I didn't want to be part of it, than I did in in the Protestant churches. And so I guess I wanted to do a little bit of research. And my my in-laws had this relevant radio bumper sticker. So I started listening. I started to understand. And in I came into the church and eventually I began giving to Relevant Radio. At the time, I was still unemployed. Um, I gave $15, $5 for each of my children, so that they might have the same opportunity and same uh, resource for Catholic knowledge that I did. And, um, and then when I look at it and I see that, uh, what was it, St. Philomena said to uh, uh, St. John Vianney, there is nothing more precious than the salvation of souls. So there's so many reasons to give. If I was to tell you uh, one thing, uh, or each listener, humble yourself. Just humble yourself and do it, because when you humble yourself, you take those steps towards God. So I appreciate your help and all the donors before me and after me. And what a wonderful apostle! Thank you so much.
0: This miracle moment was brought to you by you.
3: Call and donate now, please help Relevant Radio continue to give our Lord a platform on the air and across the web.
0: Ask about making a recurring gift.
3: one 877 Donate safely and quickly online at relevantradio.com or by using the Relevant Radio app.
1: Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradiocom slash
0: I don't think equity, diversity, and inclusion are fundamental values. They can be valuable in the measure that they participate in things that are, in fact, fundamental. And I'm going to give you two. Justice and love. Justice the, — the chief of the cardinal virtues. When we speak about justice and prudence and temperance and courage. Well the central one is justice, which means doing the right thing. Then look at the theological virtues — faith, hope, and love. And Paul says there are three things that remain. But the greatest of these is love. What's love but willing the good of the other? Those, I submit to you, are fundamental values because they are valuable in every circumstance. There's never a time when it's appropriate to be unjust or unloving. They always apply in every circumstance. And equity, inclusion, and diversity are valuable in the measure that they participate in those more fundamental values. I think getting this straight is extremely important for the life and moral health of our society today. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio.
1: Well, I wish I had just a fraction of that man's eloquence and intelligence. That, of course, was the great Bishop Robert Barron. That was a video he put out a couple days ago. and he, he muses on the the common societal habit lately of Placing the values of, as you heard him say, equity and diversity and inclusion, as being the highest possible values, and how that's just—it's uh, not wise in light of, you know, our cardinal and theological values. Um, you know, we've got to proclaim Christ. That's the—that's the solution to the problems of our day, and we need to embrace and live uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Embrace those those gifts of the theological and and, and cardinal values that we have there, those great virtues. Uh, I'm joined today by Dr. Paul Kengor, a good Catholic, a brilliant author, a wonderful professor, a real champion of freedom and liberty, and he's joined me throughout the year to pull back the veil on so many of these other issues. And, and Doctor, I just want to say, because I know this is probably one of our last broadcasts together for the year, thank you uh, for what you've done over the year and over the years, on this broadcast, you brought a lot of light to uh, what seems like an increasingly dark culture, but you've always lit that candle that there is hope and uh, we can avoid the, you know, travails of the past if we can remember them and understand them in, in proper context. So thank you for all you do. It's it's so good to have
0: you here with me
2: today. Well, well, thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> so thank you very much. And thank you for all that you do, that everybody that everyone does at Relevant Radio. And uh, I got to tell you, though, I struggle with hope in times like this. And and of course, you know, this is the season of hope, you know, hope himself, capital H, hope himself. And one of my favorite lines from Chesterton, he said, hope is about having hope when things seem hopeless. And, you know, things do seem hopeless, but. You know, even if they do seem that way, our mission our call as Catholics, as Christians, is to try to make it a better place while we're here. And, you know, we're often going to get called names and attacked for it. Bishop Barron gets attacked. Um, Archbishop Gomez got, you know, viciously attacked by this group of left-wing Christians who started a petition after him. And I don't know if you saw this, Drew, but the National Catholic Reporter, not the Register, but the National Catholic Reporter, was totally unhinged in an attack on on gomez for what he said in that speech wow. Wow. and so they um you know the, the man's really um being assailed for what he said there and oftentimes the attacks say things like um how dare he question the motives of this movement for racial justice and he doesn't he doesn't say that if you go and read his speech he you know he, he says you know, we don't want to take away from Issues and ideas and movements that, that legitimately defy racial discrimination. He talks about Augustus Tolton as, yeah. as somebody that he admires, you know, someone to, that we can look forward to. He's nuanced. He's careful. He's thoughtful. He's balanced. He doesn't engage in hyperbole. And, and you know, he, he's one of these people who is a prophetic voice and understands these things. And there's so many other people in the church that don't get it at all. Yeah. And they, um, you know, they attack the messenger. So, um, but anyway, yeah, thank you for, for your comments there. And thanks for all that you guys do. All
1: right. We'll take a few calls. Time is my enemy. It goes so quickly. I wish I had another hour, but we only have a few moments. So let me see who I can get online with you. Paula is listening to us in Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Paula. You're on there with Dr. Paul Kengor.
2: Hi, Drew. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'll try to be brief. Uh, Dr. Kengor I had a question, um, how would you respond to certain people who believe that the idea of communism works, but claim that
5: it has not yet been properly exercised or applied in societies, and mm-hmm.
2: that's due to the greed or, you know, evil of the human heart? How would you yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, I I hear it all the time, right? Um, But it's not the problem is in communism. It's that it hasn't been tried correctly yet, right? And you wonder, well, it's been tried like hundreds and hundreds of times. You would think that if it was at all decent, it would work at least half the time and maybe even at least a dozen times. And, uh, gee, we'll really lower the bar. Maybe work even just once. (laughs) But everywhere it goes, at least this (laughs) despair, depression, Violence, destitution, and unlike anything ever seen in the past, the long ancient past of these different nations, nationalities, and cultures, um, the levels of violence never before seen in, in these countries. And the reason why, if you just read the Communist Manifesto, when it says things like the entire communist theory may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. I mean, there's no more basic right than the right to own property. It's as basic as the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. So, so Marx, as Pope Benedict XVI pointed out, uh, as John Paul II point out, pointed out, it, it, it's not just a failure economically, uh, Marxism. It's a failure anthropologically. It fails to understand human nature. It's an anthropological failure, a political failure, a philosophical failure, an economic failure – Um, A theological failure across the board. And if people haven't learned that by now, then they are um, really, really terribly misinformed. And this idea that, well, just give us more power, that's been the problem. You haven't given us enough power. We'll do it right. Stalin did it wrong, and so did Castro and the other Castro and Che and Pol Pot and Ceausescu and Mao and I, you know, they, all, they all did it wrong. But but you know we have the degrees from the universities. We'll do it right this time if you if you just give us enough power. They say that all the time and it never works.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for your call. Great That's to have great. you here with us. Thank you, hey, Ma- Maggie. Thank I lost you. my call screen. Just so thank you know. So if you could uh, just uh, take the next call up. I don't. I can't see it. So I don't know who's on 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 hold right now. But uh, Let me go to Gina. She's listening in San Diego. Gina, hi, you're on the air with Dr. Paul Kangor.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, My daughter is 17. We're looking at colleges, but I do not want her to end up in a college that's going to brainwash her in some of these directions. So can you give me some idea on how to research these schools and how to find out um, who's pushing all this uh, all, all this garbage into their heads and, and help me just steer clear. Um, I, she won't go to a Catholic college. She's already told me that. But um, I, I just want to find a good school for her. Thank you. I'll take my answer offline. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Gina.
2: Yeah. Well, what a providential question. And although when you said she won't go to a Catholic college, boy, that. That's going to make it harder. Uh, Look, 99% of the colleges out there are like this, like I've talked about. Um, There's a wonderful list of recommended Catholic colleges by the Newman Guide, the Newman Center, and by the National Catholic Register. And that's a good list. That's a good list. There are – there's also recommended colleges by Young America's Foundation – um, I teach at Grove City College, which which is which is largely a Protestant college. So is Liberty, um, Hillsdale. Hillsdale is probably about fifty fifty um, Catholic to Protestant. Although it's probably not that high Catholic, but it's probably pushing that. But a lot of them are religious schools because it, it's the non religious secular schools where this um, secular garbage is being pushed. So I don't, you, might have to, you might have to push her in that direction, and it's a, it's a crucial thing. You don't want to spend 17 years carefully teaching her and, and inculcating these beliefs and ideas in her and then pay a college $100,000 over four years to wipe it all away. And, and if she fights you on this, maybe you need to just put your foot down and say, I'm sorry, but you know, here are four or five that you can choose from they're all nice places. You're going to be meet nice boys, nice girls. You're going to meet <laughs> there. You're going to have a good time, regardless. And I'm paying for it. And I'm sorry, right. but I'm not sending you off to secular U to come on Thanksgiving and tell me that you're a boy. I got to leave it right yeah.
1: there. My gratitude to Dr. Paul Kangor.